<laughs> He's laughing. He's having a good time. Good for you. Yeah, laugh it up. Enjoy your night. <laughs> Right up, step right up, ladies and gentlemen and monster kids of all ages. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show, and this is episode 179. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and Stitcher Premium. We'll tell you more about this great new platform later in the show. To get a free month of Stitcher Premium for 30 days, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HMP. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. This is Gilman Joel Robertson and my co-host tonight, Why They Wiggle. They dance, and they'll do unspeakable things for a hundred smackaroons. Could have got Dave for 15. <laughs> Dave, Dr. Shock Factor, shaking it just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, who will dare face the challenge of the funhouse? Who is mad enough to enter that world of darkness? How about you, Joel? You know I am. <laughs> you know I am. <laughs> Because on this themed episode of Horror Movie Podcast, we're visiting a carnival of terror, where we will talk about horror movies that take place in and around carnivals. We will also be feature reviewing the 2018 release of Hellfest and 1981's The Funhouse, directed by the one and only Toby Hooper. And as an extra special treat for this carnival of terror episode, we welcome HMP listener and Land of the Creeps co-host, Bill Van Vagel. Welcome, Bill. Uh, thanks for having me on. I've been a listener for ages, and I'm on LOTC, and I'm very excited to be on the show this week. Yes, sir. That is awesome. We are happy to yeah, have we you. We love having all of your comments in the in the comments section. You, you always have a lot of interesting things to share and so it's been nice knowing you all these years and nice to finally talk to you in person so well i look forward to it thanks for being on the show all right so want to get uh, rocking and rolling with some carnival horror movies absolutely Sounds good wolfman yes sir in my head i'm completely wrong on this i'm sure but in my head i imagine this would be a subgenre that you are a fan of no not at all really <laughs> I'm just joking. Okay. You know, I, I, you know, there is something, you know, we talked a lot about in our uh, last episode about things that are just kind of off-putting. And, you know, and I mentioned the freaks, there's mm -hmm. something about the freaks that uh, I don't, I don't want to be off-put by them. I feel bad about myself for it, but it's just, you know, it makes me uneasy in my stomach and you get a lot of that type of content in these carnival horror films. Now I do want to say 
um, there are a few different ways we could split up this subgenre as well. And we're kind of lumping them all together. There's the circus horror films, the carnival horror films. A film like Hellfest has the imagery of a carnival, but really it's kind of like a more of like a haunted house scenario. And so we're kind of lumping all of those types of films into this discussion together. But yeah, there's something about that clown music you hear in a in an ice cream truck and the imagery that goes along with that. I just find it really unsettling, but for some reason, yeah, not in, in a super appealing way. I, I do love certain creepy clowns, of course, Pennywise being near the top. <laughs> I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all. I'm every nightmare you ever had. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. This is definitely one of those subgenres that I know I'm not going to be comfortable watching these movies. I do enjoy it though. I enjoy this this subgenre. You know what? I, I'll bring it up because I, I really loved the show. And it sort of touched on this whole thing. And you actually followed a, a group of people, you know, doing sort of a carnival uh, around. And it, it, I think it's one of the reasons that I don't get as invested in television series anymore. Because all around the same time, there were these series that got canceled that I loved. And they got canceled way too early. And one of them was Carnival from HBO. absolutely loved Carnival. It was set almost, I think, during the 30s, maybe the Dust Bowl or something in that era. And it followed these group of carnies around and they, they would experience supernatural things and that mm. that bond between them, you know, the bond of, of the carnival work. And you see it a little bit in, in Funhouse and especially in what for me is the, the quintessential carnival movie is Freaks from 1932, I want to say. Todd Browning's Freaks and I got plenty to say about that one. <laughs> it's an unusual film in that Todd Browning was really criticized at the time because of showing all of these, they call them freaks, and that's yeah. the name of the movie. I mean, you, you had... Um, this one guy, I think he was he was a, a prince from Africa or something. He had no no arms, no legs. Um, and there's a scene where you see him rolling a cigarette uh, with his mouth and actually lighting it. And you had the the boy with no legs. He walked around on his arms, and that movie centered a lot on that. And he got some criticism for it. But if you watch that movie, Todd Browning had a real respect for Carnival. He had worked at a Carnival when he was younger and he had a real respect for that group of people for the freaks he had a real not i don't know respect but but a real um almost like a love for them and it's because of the camaraderie the fact that they joined they made this family these are people that society has cast aside and they became a family together and he sort of showed that in the movie he got a lot of flack for it, but if you watch that movie, he is not exploiting them. I mean, there's always going to be some exploitation when you're dealing with that subject. I'm not saying there's no exploitation of them, but he's showing them in a positive light. They are the heroes of freaks. The regular people are the villains. 
And I wonder how much of it, and this is back in the 1930s, how much of that criticism was the fact that this group of freaks who are, you know, multiracial, a lot of different accents among them, and just a strange bunch of people, they end up getting the better of so-called, quote-unquote, regular white characters. How much of that hurt the movie? And I don't think that Todd Browning was really thinking about that. He just wanted to show the, these, quote-unquote, freaks in a positive light. And that's what you get with these kind of movies, I think, is it, it shows you the camaraderie. I mean, I even remember one called Carney. It's not a horror movie where you see the camaraderie that develops between these people at these carnivals, especially when they're together all the time going city to city. And that's what he was really trying to convey. And you see that even in the one movie, um, you know, uh, in the fun house that there's definitely an element of that in that movie as well. The lengths to which they're willing to take that family, that camaraderie, that they're, they're willing to do things that are not, you know, forget about legal and ethical. They're, they're willing to do some, some downright evil things in order to protect each other. And that's something else that you get in, uh, in a lot of these movies. And, um, and you got it in, in Freaks as well, even though you're kind of, I found myself rooting for the Freaks in that one. Uh, you get it in that film as well. And I think that's just another interesting element uh, to, to this uh, sort of subgenre. I think an important question should be asked of everyone here. Did you, or maybe do you currently, but did you as a kid especially ever attend a carnival like this. And I'm not, I'm not thinking circuses. I mean, like a Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bill. I guess they would fall somewhat in this bucket, but specifically, you know, the type of these little festivals that would pop up for a week or a weekend or two, you know, with a really rickety old uh, Ferris wheel and, and sketchy roller coasters and a Gravitron that would make you puke your guts out. Th something like that. Did you, did you ever go to those uh, when you were a kid, Dave? Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and even when I was uh, uh, later in life, I was, I was married at the time. We, we lived in an apartment and right across the street, our church had a carnival come in. And it was one of those ones where, you know, you feel uneasy at them, but mostly it's because you don't trust a single one of the rides. At least I never trusted a single one of the rides. And while we were there one time, this one ride that all it does, it just goes around. It's, it's like these cars attached to the side of a, of a huge circle and it goes upside down and then you're right side up at the bottom then upside down at the top well it got stuck mm. and those people were stuck in there for about three four minutes or something before they could finally get the ride going again but that three four minutes must have seemed like an eternity there's also something a little bit ominous about it for me because they blow into town and they blow out of town like they were never there and it just sort of lends to the fact, like, who could be working at these things? Are, are, there, are there actually people hiding from the law or from something else that are working in these carnivals and they blow into town and blow out of town and you don't get to know them? You know, you know it's because they're, they're not there long enough. And it's just something unsettling about that whole atmosphere. I go, I enjoy them, but... It's still unsettling uh, when you think about it in that way. That it's like, wow, they're here. They were here. Now the next day, look, everything's gone. Everything is packed up, and everything is out of here. And you have no idea where they go. You don't track these carnivals, and you never know from one year to, to another. Is this the same group that was here last year? 
You don't usually <laughs> recognize anybody. It's just something a little unsettling uh, about the whole the whole thing. I enjoy them, but it it still makes you think a little bit. Would you say that uh, they made you feel like something wicked this way comes? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> hey, who knows? You don't you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, that's true. So, Bill. Yep. As a young lad, did you ever frequent? Uh, a sideshow? Yes, because growing up, my mom lived, uh, or my mom lived, my mom's um, parents, my grandparents lived a couple hours away, and we would always go to the county fair in the fall. So we would always go to these places that have the, the rides that are rickety and old, and you'd play the games of chance. But more recently, becoming a dad and things, I've been going to like to Niagara Falls and the Halloween fun houses, and I'm really embracing those. But in Canada, we have something called the Canadian National Exhibition, the CNE in Toronto, which is huge. And it's got all the rides. It's got the concerts. It's got all the uh, up and coming rides. But you always used to hear horror stories of the rides stopping and people being stuck on them for hours or heaven forbid somebody has died because it stopped too suddenly. And it always happened to be the American tourists that end up getting killed. So we, we found that a little amusing at the time. But... <laughs> the the funhouse going through the funhouse even to this day you know having watched so many horror movies and experienced so much in my life i still get the hair on the back of my neck stand up and it's that natural terror and fear of that sort of environment that i think makes these movies quite inviting mm -hmm. yeah that's really cool josh how about you yeah um i think well, there was this place in Utah. I didn't grow up in Utah, but we would come here a lot because I always had family. And um, I remember coming here as a kid. There's this place called Lagoon. And it's not quite uh, as low quality as a typical carnival, but it's definitely not a Disneyland. You know, it's somewhere between, you know, a nice amusement park and a carnival, but it's a permanent spot. And we would go there you know, once a year when I would come visit family in Utah and they had a, you know, a special Halloween season version of the park that would kind of take over. And that was my favorite time to visit would be during the Halloween season, because, you know, they would basically extend the two haunted houses they had on the premises to the entire park. And that was always a treat as a kid. But I remember they had this ride. I can't remember what it was called. If it was the mouse trap or the wild mouse or something like that it had this thing where it would go right to the edge and then kind of like tip almost a little bit and then do a full 90 degree turn and go again. You know, that was the thing where, you know, people are always losing their sunglasses and hats and, and everything on that. Right. And you definitely, you thought you were going to die. I mean, the story when I was a kid is yeah, people die on it all the time and that's why they closed it, you know, and, but I don't know that that actually happened, but that was definitely the belief. And then there was also the two other rides that really stuck out were the old rickety roller coaster, like you guys have been talking about, where you're just like, this thing's gonna definitely fall apart, like while we're on this. This cannot last. It's creaking and every turn it just it feels like your cart's gonna fly off the tracks. And then yeah, then there were these haunted houses at that place. And I loved going to those. My cousin and I would just go over and over and over again. And I remember they had workers inside the haunted house, you know, that kind of walk through and make sure everything's operating properly. And they'd scare you occasionally, but really they're, they're just kind of like work. But they were, they had 
these costumes almost reminded me of the costumes in Halloween three. I swear it was like the same witch and uh, Jack lantern masks, but there was a werewolf as well. And, and, and I just remember um, the, that werewolf and witch specifically always being so scared of whoever those people were walking around inside the haunted house ride. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's for some reason, this environment has always freaked me out. Dave, I love that show carnival as well. The production design was so well done. And I love just kind of the vibe that that gave off. And I thought, man, they, you could do so much with a film set in that time period that had that kind of feeling to it. Just uh, there's a lot there you could exploit as a, as a filmmaker. And they did do that season, I guess, of American Horror Story that's Freak Show. Yeah, Freak Show. The scariest clown I've ever seen is on that American Horror Story season. And also, the, again, they did a really good job uh, recreating some of those characters from Freaks. I think I think you'd enjoy at least checking it out Dave yeah yeah I, I definitely so I will say that for me the carnival experience was very very similar to the one in the fun house minus all the actual you know, death and mayhem in the small town that my dad lived in after my parents were divorced it's called Winter Haven and it's like smack dab between Orlando and Tampa and it's actually, if you've ever heard of Cypress Gardens, that's where Cypress Gardens was located. And they would, every winter around January, which is my birthday month, they would have the Orange Festival. And at, and there was a big orange dome that they had built there. And actually, they just tore it down a few years ago. It was just, it's like one of those little landmarks. It was it was ugly as sin, but you know, you, you kind of feel sad. You're like, oh man, that's like a, just a, I don't know, just like a landmark that was always there. It's like, nah, now it's gone. And they replaced it with a... I think I've seen that, like, in a bunch... It's on a bunch of, like, travel shows and stuff. Is it... it would show up from time to time in different things, yeah. Winter, I think mainly because the Cypress Guards, Winter Haven, was sort of known. So, it... But they that was the area, right around that Orange Dome, is where they would do the Orange Festival. Until there was a couple of years where they did it at, like, a speedway that was in a neighboring town, which didn't feel right. It always felt wrong. But as a kid, when I was really young in the 80s, this is where this place was. And it was the spitting image of the one from the fun house. Um, and also very similar to if you've caught up with uh, stranger things, season three, which I don't want to give away anything if you haven't, uh, but there is a carnival festival type thing that happens there. And that one especially felt right because in it, they actually had, and I mean, it was the exact one. There was something they called the gravitron and it looked like a UFO and you would get inside it and I don't know if anybody had this experience. I personally don't do well with rides. And as a kid, I just thought, oh, I'm a kid. I'll deal with it. As I've gotten older, it's gotten worse. So I get such motion sickness. <laughs> and, I, and the worst part is I don't get sick. I don't actually just throw up and oh, I'm done. I'm feel good. No, I just get nauseated and, and just feel horrible for the rest of the day. <laughs> so it really sucks. But the Gravitron, you would get in it and you would lean up against like this pad, kind of against the wall, and it would start to spin real slow at first. <laughs> And it picks up and it picks up. And then all of a sudden you would start getting pressed back against that padded piece of the wall and it was on rollers. So that pad you were leaning against would start to push back and roll up. So it's, it's kind of like going up into the ceiling and you're just, and it's just spinning and spinning. It's and all, and just the centrifugal force is just holding you in place. And you would get off and invariably somebody would, when they would hit the, uh, hit the door <laughs> And there was that. And of course you had the tilt a whirl and all those, but the one that used to freak me out the ride. I, I mean, you guys talk about the roller coasters that are there and I usually just would avoid those because I just felt like that was a death trap, but <laughs> the one you'd go on and you weren't sure. Cause it seemed like it should be fine. 
but it was the Ferris wheel and specifically the double Ferris wheels where you're in that little swing. You know what I'm talking about? Where it, yeah. it wasn't yep. like the ones with the gondola where you're, you're in, you're in, okay, you're protected from all sides. Those I could deal with, even though those were usually the bigger Ferris wheels, but the ones where you were in that swing where it's you and one other person and it, every time it would stop, you would just rock and it would just, I mean, oh, sometimes it would rock significantly to where you're almost like facing straight down. That to me was terrifying, just absolutely terrifying. So yeah, I, I have a lot of nostalgia for these things. So I think whenever a movie like this, I, this is the reason why I love Ghoulies too. I just lay it right out here because I love Ghoulies <laughs> too. I love that Dave brings up Freaks, this classic, you know, work of art. And I'm like, Ghoulies too. So <laughs> Ghoulies too <laughs> is it's set in a carnival. And, you know, it's, you know, and, and William Butler, uh, the actor William Butler and friends uh, get uh, massacred and it's awesome. And there's, it's just something about that environment that I just find I, it's hard to explain. It's oddly comforting. Maybe in a former life I was a carny and I got, you know, caught up in the gears or something. And, and that's that's why I feel this affinity for it. But I just I love those environments. I, th- I, I was telling Bill before we started, I've actually going through the list of all the, the carnival set movies there's just a ton i haven't even seen which i'm actually kind of surprised because this is a subgenre i do like a lot so uh, i'm really i'm really glad we're covering it here uh tonight but yes i think that we will give equal time to freaks uh, which is a classic i love it dearly but uh and ghoulies too i think that's important <laughs> well you're talking about who are the people you know who work at these carnival it's florida man oh yeah for sure in fact you know funhouse was filmed in Miami, right? I I heard an interview with Toby Hooper. We were yes. talking about basically they were trying to figure out where they could film this and they were looking all over the place and they realized that all of the carnivals wintered in Miami. Yep. And so when they weren't on the road, they would all be together kind of gathered in this one spot in Miami. And so they went down and shot the fun house there with real carnies, which again, doesn't surprise me when I see the movie, but that's probably why they look so familiar to you, Joel probably was, you've probably been to that carnival before. I, I, well, it's a little further South for me, but I will say that that vibe is very reminiscent. Yes. Of that childhood one that I went to. And another movie that was shot in Florida, just a few years after the fun house that I don't know if you guys have ever seen called the new kids from 1985 with young James Spader. It was actually directed by Sean S. Cunningham and stars Lori Laughlin, uh, you know, pre being an adult, having all that stuff going on. And it, it, right. it's, it is uh, a really fun little kind of, I think it listed as a slasher. I would say it's more of, it's a horror thriller kind of, kind of vibe, but in it, they, they play a couple of kids, Lori Laughlin and, and the, the actor's name is escaping me who plays her brother, but they come down to Florida to stay with an uncle after something happens to their parents. And he is trying to uh, get this sort of roadside attraction type carnival up and running. And those things in Florida exist everywhere because when Disney came in, you know, you have like, these little things pop up everywhere. They're trying to, you know, glom on to, to, to the people that couldn't get into Disney. So, Hey, stop over at this little attraction or this, that little attraction. And some of them, uh, are interesting. I mean, they're, some of them are kind of weird and creepy and a little <laughs> sketchy. So, uh, but the new kids is another one that takes place in Florida that was shot in Florida in the eighties that has that vibe to it as well. I guess the ones that I'm nostalgic for are probably more the Santa Cruz type carnivals, you know, definitely the lost boys is one of my all time favorite films. And so that 
certainly resonates with me. And anytime there is that kind of boardwalk carnival vibe, um, and it isn't really based on creepy clowns or the freak show, I think I enjoy that a little bit more. You know, I th- us to name a recent example that also shot at the Santa Cruz boardwalk. I really love the way they use the carnival and the house of mirrors in that film. I feel like that's really well done. I was telling Joel beforehand, I even created a top 10 list of circus films I've watched because you don't realize how many you've seen until you actually sit and chart them down. Well, uh, Bill, would you want to real quick run through the list without? Sure. So I have three that made my honorable mention list. Uh, 2017 or 18's Bloodfest. Jawardowski's Sante Sangra. Now that's an interesting film. I mean, that belongs in the pantheon of circus or carnival films. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the other one that just missed was 31, Rob Zombies. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I liked it, but I found it a bit weak at times. Uh, it's funny because a lot of these films, I noticed just in, as we've been talking here, a lot of the, uh, the horror on the road films seem to cross over also with these carnival films you know there's like something about those two genres that meld well together because i've seen a few where you know the people are in their car their car breaks down there happens to be a circus right beside them (laughs) (laughs) okay so number 10 is nightmare circus also known as the barn of the dead i have not seen that one no it's kind of a low lower budget but it's worth checking out number nine hellfest Number eight is the Amicus Anthology Torture Garden. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. And it's it, the movie itself isn't about a circus, but the tie-around story is a carnival with Burgess Meredith. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, number seven, The Mutations. Oh, with Tom Baker. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, that's uh, that's an interesting... And, and Donald Pleasance, I think he plays a doctor in that one. Yeah, he plays a uh, university botanist. That's, that's another one with, with, I remember there's a guy who can make his eyes pop out of their socket. That one, that really kind of freaked me out, that guy. Yeah, because, I mean, I think he's been in other things. He's, it's about a guy that has all these, um, he's a university professor, and he wants to mutate humans with plants. But he gets the help of finding people from uh, a circus uh, freak type help of Tom Baker. Uh, number five, I have Carnival of Souls. Oh, yeah. Number four, I have Vampire Circus. For me, one of my top five Hammer films. I love uh, Vampire Circus. I love that film. It's a great film. Yeah. Number three, I put Freaks. Mm-hmm. Number two, I put Fun House. And number one, I put The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, all, all great movies. Yep. Yeah, it really is a great list, but I will say I didn't hear Ghoulies 2. just made my honorable mentions how about that it was just on the other side of your honorable mentions yeah next time bring a top 30 and then then it might crack (laughs) crack Uh, i love that josh had to pause on "Ah, 30 (laughs) Uh, and another one that i i would feel beyond remiss if i didn't include in the conversation you know because of i like to make sure i bring something of real value to the podcast is a movie that i had the video poster on my wall in high school and it is the only one of the sequels to the original that I will stand behind. Howling Six, The Freaks. Takes, <laughs> takes, I'm serious. I'm serious. It takes place. You had a poster of oh, Howling yeah. Six I on st- your wall? Dude, okay. I, st- I still have the poster. 
<laughs> I still have it. I'll take a picture wow. of it and I'll send it to you. So, wow. yes, uh, Howling 6, The Freaks, it is it, the only Howling movie that I, I feel like they were trying to do something different. <laughs> and it does take place in and around a carnival. Um, my memory of it is very, very, as far as the movie goes, is very uh, tenuous at best, but it involves a vampire and a werewolf and it takes place in a carnival. So uh, that's right. Well, Joel, you can, I mean, I don't want to blow up your spot, but you can talk pretty eloquently about some of these other films as well. I'm, I'm curious. I know you were, we were kind of going back and forth about the films we wanted to discuss. And you mentioned Carnival of Souls was one on your list. Uh, what, what is it you like about that film? Honestly, I, but besides the dreamlike nature of it and that, and the fact that, there is an aesthetic influence on one of my top 10 favorites, which is Night of the Living Dead. I just love uh, that uh, the director or the Herc Hervey, the, the creator, how DIY the whole thing is like there's when you know it, mm-hmm. it's more like once you know the whole backstory behind it. And this guy uses this industrial filmmaker and he's just doing his thing. He's like, hey, let's put on a show, kids. And that they made this w- just wacky dreamlike narrative. I just appreciate it. And I think it's a beautiful movie. I'm a huge fan of black and white. And I just, I think it is such a beautifully shot movie. And especially since they had no budget whatsoever. And uh, also being a huge fan of the twilight zone, it it obviously is very, very much in line with that uh, type of story. And so, yeah, it, it's those types of elements that I just find really really haunting and effective and just you know everything from the organ music like i said to the, mm. the cinematography it's just it's it works on a lot of levels for me so location of the great saltaire which is located in you know just outside salt lake city by the salt flats is um, a place that had been here since i mean i don't know the exact the exact time but i know that when my grandparents were young they used to go out dancing at that saltaire that was like a, a common activity They'd take the train from Salt Lake City out to the Saltaire and they would dance. And all along the coast of the Great Salt Lake there, there were kind of like bars and and carnivals games and stuff set up all there along the coast. And people would go hang out there, which is mind boggling to me as an adult going out there because it smells so bad. It's completely filled with brine flies. It's this old, like ancient ocean that's been that's shriveled up and is basically just you know salt and brine flies now and it just it smells horrific so the idea that people actually went swimming out there and would kind of like hang out there in the evening is shocking to me they do have mm-hmm. concerts still at the saltaire that version that's in um carnival of souls was torn to the ground and it's funny because kind of like you know i was a high schooler when i came to utah and being just kind of a rambunctious kid, we would do a lot of urban exploration type stuff. And when you watch that film and knowing kind of the geography of the Saltaire, it's kind of like, it kind of feels like they didn't really have permits or permission. And they, it kind of feels like what would happen if you went out to the Saltaire <laughs> in an afternoon with your friends and tried to shoot a movie out there without any <laughs> kind of uh, permits to actually get in the building legitimately. <laughs> That's the that's what I like about it, but um, yeah. but yeah, they still do concerts out there a lot, and and those are cool. You can go and watch um, touring bands come through and play at the Saltaire. Is it still used as a fair type uh, place, or is it just more for a place that's open for things to do? 
it's mostly just for concerts. Um, they've cleared everything out of there and just it's really bare bones what they've left. Just it's a big empty hall now, essentially with a few of those kind of like onion domes on the four corners, I believe. Uh, but mostly it's all cleared out and all of that carnival stuff is gone. And um, they have like Green Day plays there or it's a lot of punk bands actually rancid plays out there they did the first warp tour out there so um the very first year they did warp tour they would have the main bands were on the stage inside and the smaller bands were on this little side stage out next to the brine flies and it was just <laughs> nauseating being out there on that little beach watching the bands play i remember watching Civ played out there and no doubt and some other bands played out there and i was just like oh this is awful. Let's go back inside. <laughs> it's a cool spot. And unfortunately it doesn't exist in its traditional form. Like it does in carnival souls, but um, it's still kind of epic and you can see why they would have chosen it for a location. Have any of you seen the 1998 remake of carnival souls starring no. Shawnee no. Smith and wait for it. Larry Miller, the comedian. <laughs> oh, wow. oh boy. Yes, wow. and I see, and I and I, I I don't think I ever saw. It. I think I read about it in Fangoria when when they did some coverage of it. And so, if I re, if memory serves, though, I think Larry Miller is playing the role of sort of that ghostly man fi- figure that the Herc Curvy, the director, played in the original. I think he's sort of the ominous villain. If I if memory serves from what I remember reading about, because I don't think I ever saw it, but I didn't know if any of you had. No, no, I had not seen that one. Okay, I'm curious about the budget on that one. I, I don't believe. I believe it was more. It was more than the original, but probably less than most of the movies we've discussed so far. <laughs> so, pretty sure. The Carnival of Souls is available on Amazon Prime right now for Amazon Prime subscribers. I'd recommend people checking it out if they haven't seen it. But there's also a beautiful Blu-ray collection from Criterion yes. that's out right now. Yes, and I believe Dave and I both have that. Yep. Is that is that public domain? I'm I'm curious if it is or not. I don't think it is. I don't. I know Night Night of Living Dead is, and I'm sure everybody knows that story. But no, I'm I I used to think that as well, Bill. And I I I can't remember what it was. I remember doing some just basic research. It wasn't like I went in depth. You know, I just to use a, a term my friend taught me recently. I just did some Google foo, and I I kind of went through and. I got the, I don't think there was anything that indicated that it was, but yet it was one of those movies that as a kid, I always remember kind of like Night of the Living Dead. I seem to have this rem- memory of always seeing different video box versions of it, which was usually an indicator that something was public domain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have seen it in various uh, degrees of quality, which is why I asked. What about Caligari, Dave? I know that was Bill's number one. I know that's one of your favorite films. Yeah, I, I, it's... What I like most about it is is sort of the German expressionism and just the way it was shot. And, and it really launched, I don't know, it's not, it's not the first horror film. You know, you, you always get, you, you always dig a hole for yourself when you, when you say that. Uh, but I think it's the first really sort of influential one that obviously started German expressionism, which is something that Murnau was kind of adhering to when he did Nosferatu. Plus the ending is very influential i think it's sort of one of those the first real sort of twist endings that you get where you you know it sort of leads you to, to question what went before it mm. uh, no i'm a big fan i i like uh, caligari a lot and i'd like to check out that new blu-ray you know we were talking about um there's a adaptation of that 
by a filmmaker who's done a couple of little projects via Kickstarter that I thought were really cool. He did his own kind of remake of the Caligari in 2006. And then he also did a uh, Nosferatu remake a couple of years later, both of which starred Doug Jones. Those are both directed by a guy named David Lee Fisher. And they're really interesting. He does it all with green screen kind of work, but he basically, what he does is he inserts uh, new actors into the original backgrounds with just the use of minor props and, um, and adds to the story. And so you, yeah, you get to see Doug Jones in Caligari, for instance, or, or as the vampire Nosferatu. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, the trailer for uh, Caligari was gorgeous. It looked, I, I mean, I was surprised. I, I I came across it, and that's why when I sent the link to you guys, I didn't realize you uh, were familiar with it. And I, I just, I was shocked. <laughs> I was really shocked at how impressive it looked. Because I just love how he, he has a black and white, but there's a just a slight sepia quality to it, it seemed like. And I mean, granted, I was watching it on YouTube, so I'm sure would look even better. I, I, does he have, I'm assuming, is there some kind of Blu-ray or something that you can get of it? You know, it's been year. I hadn't thought about it in years until you sent us that link, uh, Joel, but I, I actually invested, I don't know if not invested by, um, supported the Nosferatu on Kickstarter. And, um, I think as one of the rewards, you, you would get a DVD copy of that. I don't know that they were ever released. Uh, mainstream well i am just so you know i am on amazon right now and i believe i've got the right one uh it looks like the right one cabinet of dr caligari i think they call it like the remix or something it says the dvd for 29.95 so i guess there was yeah, a dvd is, of it, it is the remix that's right yeah so i guess there is a dvd of it you can track down but uh cool yeah yeah those they looked amazing i hope they're as good as they looked. Yeah. I'm trying to see if there's any extras or anything. And is it relatively uh, faithful to the original storyline with obvious uh, inclusions of modern twists to it? As I understand, again, I was I, I came to it late. I came to it when they were doing the Kickstarter campaign for Nosferatu and Caligari had already kind of wrapped up. And it's been a decade since I looked into it. But as I, as I recall, they were basically keeping the same storyline, but kind of like fleshing it out a little bit more and allowing Doug Jones to bring a little bit more to the characters. And, and I don't know if we said this or not, and I apologize if I'm repeating something that we already did, but there is actual dialogue in it. I mean, they, it's not silent. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I would say that that scene from the trailer, the biggest differentiator, because it looked aesthetically very similar <clears throat> in, in a lot of ways. And then obviously then you just had people speaking. That was the big difference. So, Hmm. Very cool. Here are a few other films I want to run by you guys, see if you'd seen. Um, there's The Devil's Carnival from 2012. No. Nope. No. The Last Circus from 2010. Negative. <laughs> nope. Did anyone see Final Destination 3? Yeah. I saw that on a few lists. Yes. Final Destination 3, I, I did see it. it. It's an amusement park because it's the roller coaster one. And then would you guys, how would you guys characterize Waxwork from 1988? I love Waxwork. Um, Welcome to the Waxwork. But 
I don't know that I would call it that. I mean, I, I guess it depends because you're getting into that weird space where is it a, almost a haunted house Kind of like how Hellfest is, but right. Hellfest is different because I felt like with Hell, and we'll get into this obviously in the review. Hellfest, you know, it's a whole park. Whereas Waxwork, you're just going into a museum. So I almost feel like that would it would fall more into like the you know Night of the Museum horrors type bucket than it would a like uh, House of Wax. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yes, but it does have certain there are similarities. I could see why you would ask the question because there are there there is a certain vibe that's similar. We've got Malatesta's Carnival of Blood from 1973. I've always wanted to watch it, but I have never been able to get a good copy of it. Carnival of Blood, 1972. Carnival of Blood sounds familiar. Who is, is, is That's not the one with Paulie in it, is it? Burt Young. Yes, I, I have. I reviewed oh, Burt Young? Oh, cool. I reviewed that on the blog years ago. I think Something Weird put a, a DVD out of that. Um, you know, very low budget, but it really captures that time period, that that sort of early seventies, and it's shot in New York. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I might be set at Coney Island. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that though. Uh, it's that part of it is interesting. I don't remember it being a particularly engaging film aside from that, but it was okay. kind of a cool time capsule. There's one called Closed for the Season, 2010. No, I, I believe I've seen that one. Okay, but it's it's been a while. I think it was mostly forgettable. This is a supernatural roller coaster of terror that always piques my interest. Also, on that uh, note, Dark Ride from two thousand six. I've seen that one. Yes. Uh, okay. That one again. I, I reviewed it on the blog. I don't. That was was that a, a Fangoria Fright Fest? I think film? it was, it was like, it had, I don't know if it was a, a Fangoria one, but it had one of those type of, uh, yeah. Yeah. So-and-so presents. Collections. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something yeah, like so it that. It was one of the yeah. collections that had come out and I did see it and it, it was, you know, it was, entered, it was good. I mean, I, again, I don't think it was, it, it didn't set the world on fire. I can't sit here and pick out specific scenes to be honest with you, but I don't remember being turned off by it either. Scream Park from 2014. No. Scream Park. Nope. It sounds like that's in the same vein as Blood Fest and Hell Fest. It says the Frightland Amusement Park is on the verge of closing down for good. But the park's owner Hyde has one last plan. <laughs> like, yep, okay. <laughs> um, there's a bag-headed killer in that film, it looks like. There are a bunch of haunted hayride films, which I don't know that I'd normally uh, categorize in this genre, but right. Hellfest kind of brings us into it a little bit. And there was one that I remember seeing years ago. It was called the Bates haunting. I rented it from Redbox, thinking it had something to do with, you know, the legacy of psycho. Right. Um, but really it was a, a haunted hayride kind of situation. And really basically the same premise as Hellfest, just much more poorly executed <laughs> than Hellfest. <laughs> But were you disappointed when you found out it wasn't uh, Anthony Perkins? Oh, I was, I, I was really hoping it was going to be another sequel to, well, I mean, Anthony Perkins was not an option at that point, but I was hoping it was going to have something to do with the psycho legacy for sure. Dave, one I'm surprised you have not brought up yet. Kiss meet the Phantom of the Park. Oh, oh boy. No, it is. <laughs> yep. I remember watching that when it first came on. I was a huge Kiss fan back in the late 70s. For Halloween, for several years, I always went out as one of the members of KISS. 
And <laughs> I remember awesome. watching that and loving it at the time. Now I was nine. <laughs> right. I don't know that I've seen it since then. Uh, I was blown away by it at nine years old, though. <laughs> well, that's what's important. <laughs> Yeah. And that's how I am with something wicked this way comes. It was one of my absolute favorite films I'd ever seen at the time I saw it. And I've never seen it again. Okay. I was going to ask you, you said, when was the last time you saw it, Josh? I mean, it was definitely the year it came out. <laughs> we covered it. Yeah. You brought this up. I actually enjoyed it. I saw it again uh, a few years ago and I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Really? I thought- ah, I remember it, we watched it for uh, Retro Movie Geek. Uh, we had a, a Gamma, good good friend of mine, on. He loved he loved it. Yeah, he, he knew a lot of the history of like all the turmoil involved with making it because they had a lot of production problems with that movie, a lot. And it shows mm. uh, at certain key points in it. How can I say this? It's a poorly executed movie because of all the things that were working against it. I think you know. I think it, it's like there's a a potentially interesting movie in there, but because they had so many problems it just weighed it down and uh uh, that was that was my takeaway that's my sense memory of that episode i don't remember all the particulars but i enjoyed it i thought jonathan price gave a great performance there's a scene with him and jason robards with with him like tearing pages out of a book i don't want to go too too deep into it that i thought had a lot of power to it as well you are the autumn people where do you come from the dust where do you go to? The grave? Yes. We are the hungry ones. Your torments call us like dogs in the night. And we do feed. And feed well. To stuff yourselves on other people's nightmares. And butter our plain bread with delicious pain. Funerals, bad marriages, lost loves, lonely beds. That is our diet. We suck that misery and find it sweet. We search for more, always. I don't know. I, I liked it. I mean, considering it is a Disney, it was when Disney was sort of getting into some darker territory. I thought that part of it made it pretty interesting as well because it has, it does have that kind of Disney feel to it in a way. Yeah. But still works in... Uh, it's 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 darker and it manages to be darker even within that sort of disney feel but would you think dave that that is a movie especially being based on a ray bradbury novel that just begs to be made again like especially when you brought up carnival and just the production design and how that was done it's obviously from a similar era Mm -hmm. i can imagine with that type of of production design and execution applied to that story it could be amazing I wouldn't mind seeing a, a, an updated version of something wicked this way comes. Yeah, yeah I think that would be, uh, I agree. I think uh, it would be interesting to see what they could do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, 2007 film freak show. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember that one, but you know what that did remind me of is what was the other one you named last time, Joel, um, that they shot in Florida. Oh, 2000 maniacs. 2000 Maniacs. I have not seen that one yet. That's Robert England, isn't that right? 2001 Maniacs is the one with Robert England. Herschel Gordon Lewis did 2000 Maniacs. Yes. Oh, okay. And I okay. actually did look it up. It was shot in St. Cloud, which is near Kissimmee, which is very close to Orlando. And uh, yeah, I've only ever seen like parts of it. I never watched the whole because as a kid, I remember it was something about because it's really one of those horror in the daylight movies. And, you know, those Herschel Gordon Lewis gore films, you know, when you see that when you're like too young because it's so 
like technicolor red again, <laughs> bloody and in your face. It just, I, I just thought it was going to just like, right. break my mind if I watched it entirely. So I remember I had a friend that had it. And so we watched like parts of it. It was like, you were watching like a dirty movie or something. You have to turn it off real fast and, and run out of the room. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was shot, I believe in St. Cloud, which was very close to where I'm at now. Did we mention circus of the dead from 2014? Nope. A man becomes entangled in a deadly mortality game with a sadistic clown and is forced to examine the things in life he takes for granted. So it's Saw with a, <laughs> at a circus. At a circus. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I got to look that up. Yeah, that's Circus of the Dead 2014. It looks pretty good based on just the images I'm seeing online. Circus of Horrors 1960. Um, one, one of his operations results in a disfigurement. Plastic surgeon Dr. Schuler flees to France. After he successfully operates on a young woman, her father lets him join the circus he owns. <laughs> so, I don't know what that okay. is all about, but that's interesting. No, the only other one I think of was sorry, is Zombieland yeah. with the big carnival circus scene at the end. Um, mm-hmm. and you very know good, yeah. Actually, one I just remembered is, uh, I don't know, it's mid to later 60s called She Freak, which was mm. a remake of Freaks. I can't remember who's in it. It's a woman lead where she takes over this environment and there are uh, circus freaks and so forth in this uh, circus that she's running. You know, when Bill mentioned Zombieland, I kind of thought of that moment in Jurassic World where they're hiding out in the uh, gift shop (laughs) at the end. And I thought, you know, the Jurassic Park movies are kind of a version of this as well. All of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they, they they are a ride you go through, right? It's true. Yeah. No, that's legit. Yeah. There's this film, House of Purgatory. Negative. From Negative. This is more of the haunted house type, but it's four teenagers go looking for a legendary haunted house that gives you money back for every floor you can complete. That's a really fun premise. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'd like to check that one out. Kind of along those lines, there's a film called The Maze. It, it's it's more of the haunted trail type of film. It takes place in a corn maze. Hmm. Um, it says five friends break into a closed corn maze after hours and decide to play a harmless game of tag. Little do they know that a psychopathic killer has decided to play along. I've seen that film. I know some of the people who were involved in it. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but it is streaming for free on Amazon Prime if people are interested in it. Um, here's one that looks great to me based on the poster Funland from 1987. Oh, yes. You know what? It's, uh, I'm just going, I'm going purely off memory here. Yeah, I remember this poster. Now, now, I, am, now I am looking. That's what I remember is the poster. Yeah. I remember seeing the poster. It seems almost like it's more of a crime thriller type deal. Yeah. This is when a mob family takes over an amusement park. After the owner dies under mysterious circumstances, the recently fired clown mascot seeks revenge for the loss of his job. Hmm. That poster is awesome. Oh, you know, it is fantastic. (laughs) That one's also, that's included on Amazon Prime with a subscription for people who are interested in checking that one out. Here's one more. House of Horrors, The Gates of Hell from 2015. Hmm. An ancient resurrected evil is loose at Western New York's largest and most terrifying haunted attraction, the House of Horrors. Its goal is to forever open the gates of hell on earth. Hmm. And then just one more I wanted to mention. Again, people I know worked on this. I don't think it's very good. (laughs) It's called House of Fears from 2007. 
Mm-hmm. My friend is the director, Ryan Little. He actually changed his name. Um, he, he had this listed on IMDb under a pseudonym for a while because I guess he wasn't super proud of it at the time. Um, Did he pull an Alan Smithy? No, it was, it said like Rye Dog or something like that. And I was like, what is Rye Dog? <laughs> but it's back to Ryan Little on IMDb anyway. And the last one I wanted to mention that I was thinking of was Death Note. Did you guys ever see that? Netflix film. That was the one based on, was it based on a manga? Yeah. Okay. Now I, I know what it was, but yeah. And apparently fans of the manga and anime were extremely upset about the Americanized adaptation that Netflix did. Um, I actually really enjoyed it, but having no contact with the source material, it is weird because if you don't know that it comes from like anime and manga, you're like, wow, this is, has a really interesting, unique tone to it. I've never really seen a film like this. Once you know that, you're like, oh, okay, that's what it's doing. But if you just go in kind of cold like I did, I thought, man, this is a really fun movie. It has like a PG-13 horror kind of vibe to it. I don't know what it is rated, actually. Um, but I think it's worth watching. It's directed by Adam Wingard, who, you know, of course, people know from his work on Your Next and The Guest. He did the Blair Witch remake and a bunch of the VHS. And King Kong um, versus Godzilla. There right? you go. Oh, yeah. Coming up soon. So uh, I think it's worth watching. I think he did a really good job, and it has kind of this big um, Ferris wheel finale that I thought was a lot of fun. Nice. And you know what, Josh? You were mentioning like a lot of the um, the the sort of haunts. Uh, I don't know that this one qualifies. I don't think it does. But how about the, you know the recent Hell House LLC? I, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. it's not a carnival. Uh, by any stretch. I mean, I think Hellfest is more of a carnival atmosphere than Hell Definitely. LLC, but uh, it's another one of those attractions that they put together. Yeah. And I was impressed by that one. Hell House LLC definitely came to mind while I was watching Hellfest. And we can talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit more. Maybe okay. we'll get into that film. So we've talked about a hundred of these and we probably need to get into our reviews now, but what are the tropes of these besides, is it just the circus freaks, the creepy clowns, are there elements that connect these movies thematically beyond just kind of the aesthetic of being in a carnival? It's almost for me with some of these movies and I saw it in fun house and, and I saw it in freaks, the us against them mentality led that. And you see it in carnival too, that, that there's this, there's this family unit that forms around these carnivals and they will do anything to protect their own. And Mm. It leads to some very terrible things in these movies and in Carnival, uh, you know, when it would come up. I think that that's one of the things I find most interesting is that you you have this, uh, and especially in a movie like Freaks, as I already mentioned, this family atmosphere among people who are society outcasts. And not just with the freaks, but I think all of the carnival workers. And it just seems to me like a very strange sort of way of life. But yet Mm -hmm. these strong relationships, at least as depicted in these movies, whether it's that way in real life, I can't say. But as depicted in these movies, these very, very strong relationships form among these people where they look out for each other. And almost the mentality of we're going to be out of this town in a couple of days. So to hell with it. Let's just cover it over and get out of town. And uh, that, I think, is that always fascinates me about some of these films. And, and again, uh, Funhouse gets into that, uh, where it's just 
we watch out for our own and we're not even worried about the law or, you know, or what, or the consequences of, of what might happen. Yeah. Bill talked about 31 and that got me thinking about combined with what you're talking about, Dave house of a thousand corpses and the firefly family. When you talk about kind of uh, being in it, us against the world, you know, we've got this new three from hell coming out soon. I know these don't fit directly into the traveling circus aspect of it, but there's a bit of that also in house of a thousand corpses. Oh yeah. And certainly that, that family feels like they could be a family of carnies. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Maybe they were at one point, you know, especially with tiny. Um, Yeah. They, they could have been at one point. Uh, And that you have that ride in the House of a Thousand Corpses, and of course the the, the character of uh, Captain Spaulding, Sid Haig in uh, clown makeup. So it at least you're right; it at least has roots in that uh, sort of uh, lifestyle. Yeah. One of the things I like about these films is there's always, at least the good ones for me, there's a sense of foreboding, danger coming up. You know that there's something coming. It's dark. Could be horny teenagers. It could be mischievous kids. But you know something's coming, and that kind of funhouse uh, or the creepy sounds of the carousels—it kind of feeds into that. You know something's coming. You kind of get that Halloween vibe. You know somebody's going to get killed, or you know something's coming on the horizon. And the nature of the funhouse, with things popping out at the last second, you're just not sure when it's going to strike. Yeah, I really like that, Bill, because I think that's what a lot of these films do so well is it takes you on the ride as the audience, and especially the films we're going to talk about tonight, and then thinking even of Hellfest even more, you're kind of jumping along with those characters as they're going through the experience, you know, and that film does a great job of setting up jump scares in a way that feels organic to the world that you're in, And, and there's something also about and I think about it even with just lost boys and us, like I was talking about those feel really idyllic and there's something, you know, it's a really beautiful setting in a lot of ways. Hellfest is a beautiful setting, but then there's this darkness and foreboding like you're talking about. That's just, you know, is coming. You're on the ride and you're going to go through it and you're going to see something awful. I was going to say the, the good ones you find, like you feel like you're walking through the park with them. Yes. And, Everybody, no matter if you're 12 years old or you're 102, you know the feeling of walking in the dark, not knowing if something's going to grab your leg, and you're captivated. And the good films, I find, do that. When you go to these places, you see signs all over, absolutely no money back. It's, again, setting up that, that you're going to these carnivals at your own risk in a lot of ways. You're playing games that are probably rigged. You're taking rides that are not safe. I mean, you look at some of the rides and some of these carnivals and you get the idea that the inspector, if there is such a thing as a ride inspector that visits these things, he gets out of his car, you know, 200 yards away, looks at him and goes, no, shut him down. You know, he doesn't even have to get close to shut some of these things down. Well, I'm seeing a lot of other clown massacre movies, but um, I think that's everything I could find on carnivals if any of our listeners know of any that we're missing that are uh, important to to see whether it be at a circus or a, or a carnival or a boardwalk let us know in the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com all right so that wraps up our theme discussion of carnivals of terror 
Oh, and of course, we'll be talking more about It, Chapter 2, which features a carnival in our next episode, and also Eli Roth's Haunt, which features a potentially clown-infested haunt this October as part of our Halloween coverage. But for now, let's move into our feature review of The Fun House from 1981. Who will dare to face the challenge of The Fun House? Who is mad enough? to enter that world of darkness. Something is alive in the funhouse. Something not alive like its father. Something better dead. Something that has the form of a human, but not the face. This better be good. It's gonna be great. Something that feeds off the flesh and blood of young innocents. Something that tonight will turn the funhouse into a carnival of terror. The funhouse coming soon from Universal Pictures. The funhouse. It's a carnival of terror from Toby Hooper, the director who terrified you with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, The Fun House, 1981, directed by Toby Hooper. Amy Harper, uh, played by Elizabeth Berridge, is going out on her first date with Buzz. And uh, even though her father tells her not to, she goes along with him and a couple of their friends, uh, Liz and Richie, to the carnival that's just uh, arrived in town. Uh, the, her father had warned her that uh, it was the same carnival that uh, there were some deaths reported in another town and he doesn't want her to go anywhere near it. But, uh, you know, she tries to get Buzz to go to a movie, but he's intent on going to this carnival. So that's where they go. Well, they're there. They're having a good time. They, you know, they stop in at the, uh, the fortune teller played by Sylvia Miles and kind of give her a hard time. And uh, they go into the... I don't know what the attraction is where you sort of see deformities uh, in animals. Oh, the sideshow? That's, yeah, the sideshow, right. And uh, they actually found a two-headed cow for this movie, which I thought was, was pretty amazing. Uh, they go on the amusements. They, get the, they eat. And as closing time approaches, uh, I think it was Richie uh, suggests that why don't they just all stay in the funhouse, spend the night in the funhouse? Once everybody goes home. Well, for some, somehow he gets them all to agree to it. But once the four of them are in there and they're sort of, uh, you know, settling down for a romantic evening, they inadvertently witness a murder and find themselves in a lot of trouble, uh, especially when um, the individual uh, who was involved in the murder decides to I guess, take the fight to them. It's that sort of us against them mentality that sets up. You even see that with Sylvia Miles. I mean, when she's trying to do her fortune telling stuff and you can tell she's making it up as she goes and they know she's making it up, but yet it, it, it doesn't end well and she ends up throwing them out of the place. That really comes through in, in this movie, especially. And again, you could really tell it's, it's a Toby Hooper film. As you, as you see more of his work, like, well, obviously, Texas Chainsaw, but also, like, Eaten Alive, there is that sort of, of grittiness to it. And I really liked it. And there's some strange scenes in this, too, like uh, the, the guy threatening the kid 
or pulling up to the kid. You don't know what he's going to do. Hey, do you need a lift? And then he pulls a, a rifle out just to scare him. I mean, there's a lot of bizarre scenes in this movie that 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 are just setting up and, and these characters that are a little off-putting, you know, right at the outset. And then when they get to this carnival, it just it just escalates and then you're really meeting some some very unique individuals. Bill, what do you think about the fun house? I know this was high up on your list. Quite enjoyable. And I had to write this line down because I found it so hilarious. Because at the beginning, Amy is has her friend there trying to see if Buzz is a good guy, and she's not quite sure. And she goes, Buzz is a terrific guy. And then Amy goes, when you're stoned, Charles Manson is a terrific guy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. That was but but you, 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 when you know uh, Toby Hooper's work, as you said, this you get the exact same kind of feel, right down to the disjointed family and the and the interactions between the father and the son were very much like the father and the brother in Texas Chainsaw, very much the same. But it's good at building up a sense of dread. Uh, at times, I found the acting a little bit over the top. And I found it interesting, that touching moment when the dad was talking to his son uh, afterwards. And he goes, God, at my, God is my witness. I don't hate your voice. And it was a bit of a break from that horror tension for about five minutes there of there might be a touching moment to it. So Toby, you could tell, put a little bit of thought into that. It's the kind of movie that, you know, you don't have to necessarily follow logic, but it's got a bit more than your average slasher. And it's one that if you haven't seen it, you should see it. And it's one where, like Kevin Conway, uh, what I found out later is he was just coming off a Tony Award win on Broadway. Right. So the guy's got acting chops. And he actually said to Toby, I need to play all three of the Barkers. And Toby said, if that's what it takes to get you, you got all three roles. So I think the acting is above average for this type of film. And while there isn't a lot of blood, I'm not giving any spoilers, but there's not a lot of blood. What blood is there, I find is effectively used. Yeah. With some interesting Rick Baker makeup designs, I think, you know, there's some good practicals in this film for sure. Yeah, Kevin Conway is so interesting as an actor. I had also heard that he had just come off of an award season on Broadway. And I just thought, so why did he, they get him in this movie? And then you get to that one scene, you're like, okay, they needed him for this scene. You think he's just such a bastard up until that moment. You know, he just seems like a real awful guy up until that moment. And then you can really see, like, you know, he even says it, it's like, it's wearing on me, son. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm turning into a monster, but you know, your, uh, your antics are, are starting to wear on me, you know, and you can really see, imagine faced with such awful circumstances how someone uh, could find themselves in a position like he finds himself in in the movie this movie was interesting i had seen this years ago this was basically felt like a first time watch to me it had been so long since i'd seen the film i don't remember almost anything about it the thing that i took away from it most was the setting i love the way that that time period and place was captured um Toby Hooper talked about how they were filming this movie during the height of kind of the Colombian cartel drug wars in Miami. And so 
there would actually be like gunfire would break out while they were shooting and they'd just be like, ah, oh, well, let's just keep filming <laughs> through it. The Teamsters were in the midst of their own big battle during the production of this film and actually threw a day's worth of his filming shots into the ocean uh, that were lost and had to be refilmed. So there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on behind the scenes that doesn't come through. But I think what does come through is that Toby Hooper grit that you guys have been talking about that feels very familiar. I do want to ask you guys about that opening scene because, you know, creepiness aside, <laughs> you know, the way it plays out, this is three years after Halloween. So it, it, I have to believe that I am not the only one that saw, I, I will, I will say homage, heavy homage to the opening of Halloween. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then psycho, you got a little bit of psycho in there as well. Yes, it was definitely. And then you know, like you brought up the giallo thing. I thought that I thought the exact same thing, Josh, with the gloves. I mean, I felt like Hooper was doing that on purpose to, you know, play up the audience's expectations. Cause typically in a horror film, especially of this era, that opening sequence would have ended with her dying and would have been a bit of a prologue to what would, you know, cut to five years later. And, and you know, that it would have been oftentimes right. how it would have played out. And the fact that it doesn't, and it's played, I guess, kind of for laughs, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, right. it's interesting. Now I will say that Dave and I were discussing this, Josh, I don't know. I, I think it was before you got on with us earlier that he and I covered this movie once before on forgotten flicks episode 99 in 2013 during the 2013 oh, nice. spooky flicks fest. And I completely forgot. I knew we'd covered it, but I completely forgotten that it was that long ago. A and B that Dave was the one on when we covered it. So That's I thought it was so kind of, funny. yeah. So I, and it's, and Dave and I were discussing the fact that then at that time, I obviously don't remember everything we said, but my sense memory of that episode was that we weren't crazy about the movie. We let, we liked it. I mean, for what it was, but it was, there was a lot of issues with it. And the, one of the key issues that I still have is uh, the subplot with the kid, because it really doesn't pay off as much. And it should, it should, it feels like it's, it's leading to something. And all it ends up leading to is what so you guys talk about weird moments without giving anything away. That moment with the carny who I guess rescued him was, <laughs> Uber creepy. I mean, that was I. I was getting. I was getting ready for him to. Yeah, did somebody just make Ooh. a kissing sound? Because it's because I because it, I felt like that's what he was about to do to the kid. It was weird. It, it yeah. was it was a very weird moment. Yeah, which but they yeah, it felt like there was a deleted scene there that needed to be in the film, and a deleted scene after that where he tells his parents she's in the fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because all you do is you right, get you, you get the voiceover, you get the voiceover from earlier in the, the the opening scene in the closet, and I'm gonna get you back for this. And in and, and the implication of that is he's like, ah, yeah, screw her. I'm, I'm just, right, you know. I guess so. Yeah, but but I will say for that kind of film, and I won't give anything away. I really like the ending. I think it's an above average type of ending for mm -hmm. that type of film. Yeah, and it kind of sticks with you. And it, it was, uh, to be honest, a little more than I expected. Yeah. Plus this is a 1981 film, but it really feels like a seventies film. I mean, this feels, especially the way it ends like you're talking about, but even it takes 40 minutes before something happens basically in this movie, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that's not something that was even happening in the eighties really, other than maybe the burning, <laughs> but you know, this, there, this was a different era of filmmaking. Uh, and you can feel it. 
you, you, you talk about a different era, and there's one line in this. I actually brought it back and put the subtitles on just to make sure I, I heard it uh, properly. It's, it's right after Buzz uh, wins the, the, the teddy bear. He does, what you know, that way where you hit the, you, you got the hammer and you hit the pole to make the right. bell ring at the top. And you hear the, the guy who runs the ride as they're, as he's giving her the teddy bear. I heard him say something. I had to bring it back for the subtitles on. He says this, he goes, he's talking to another patron, I guess he goes, Hey tubby, come on over here and work off some of that fat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. A lot, a lot of movies, especially from the eighties, you go back and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, wouldn't be uh, happening like that nowadays. Right. <laughs> I will, and I will say, I, I even I even heard that the uh, burlesque dancers in the one scene were actual adult dancers from the local Miami clubs that they brought in. But interestingly enough, they took a more mature group of ladies, not 22 year olds. Yeah, the type that feel like they would be traveling with a carnival. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. One of the things I found out was that. The mask that the one person uses, Frankenstein, in the original script, it wasn't supposed to be a Frankenstein mask. But when Universal uh, gained the rights to show the film, it all of a sudden became a Frankenstein mask that the guy was wearing. It was just supposed to be some kind of generic mask, from what I understand. Yeah, because they were initially going to make the film independently, as I understand also. And um, and this, I think, wasn't this Toby Hooper's first studio project? I guess Salem's Lot came out before this and that was for television, but I think this is his first studio feature film. It might be. I'm not sure. So but he's dealing he, with probably a lot more money than he's used to having at this point. And you guys brought up the Frankenstein monster mask that the creature wears. I, I guess we call him a creature. I, I love the parallel though, that he wears that through the whole first half or more of the movie. And the character itself is very much indicative of the Frankenstein monster, right? He's, right, he's this right. pitiful creature that is, you know, it's not no fault of his own that it is the way he is. And even you get to that point where a certain situation has arisen where he's being asked to do something and he doesn't what you get the vibe. He doesn't want to do it. And I, I like that he's being manipulated. I mean, I don't like that he's being manipulated, but I like that they have that in there that he's, he comes across as somewhat sympathetic, even though he's horrific in a lot of ways, he is got a sympathetic streak to him. Like so many great universal monster movies have. Yeah, I agree. And I think the Frankenstein mask goes a long way to help accomplish that goal. Mm -hmm. Because I think if it was just the makeup effect that Rick Baker created that we see later, it would be a lot harder to kind of buy into that empathy for the creature. But I think because he's in this Frankenstein mask and we already know what Frankenstein's monster represents, you know, we know that the sadness and the longing and the sorrow and the inequity of that situation, this person, this creature has been put in at no fault of their own. It's just a great visual shorthand that works in Toby Hooper's favor. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it gets you used to looking at him as a monster and you don't have no idea until finally that reveal just what you're dealing with I, I thought that was in thought it was interesting because it, it it's almost as if the frankenstein mask was lessening the effect but i, I also found interesting that the first reveal is a close-up you, you it all of a sudden gets right in your face you can't ease up to it it's you see him right away right and i like what you say dave about it being 
you getting used to the Frankenstein mask because, because again, we're seeing a monster mask. And then when we see the actual monster underneath, it's so much more shocking. Right. Exactly. All right. So you guys want to go around and do our ratings and recommendations then? Let's go for it. I'll, yep. I'll go first. If you don't mind, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. Sir. I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's not exactly my cup of tea, but I appreciate it a lot. I think I would like to see a film like this go a little bit further at times. I would like to see a little bit stronger narrative structure. Cause I think there's a huge amount of potential here, and I'd love to see a film like this get remade. Actually. I think you could do a great remake of a film like this and maybe just with a little more narrative purpose to it. But I think, I think what Hooper does really well with here is atmosphere. And I think that carries this movie so far and makes it so enjoyable that everything else that comes after for me was just kind of bonus. And the fact that he is able to create a story that is reminiscent of Frankenstein's monster. The fact that he is able to put these teen slasher characters kind of in a fun house and, and give them a little bit of hell just those that's all gravy for me so i like this movie a lot um for me this is probably a seven and i think it's a strong rental recommendation i think every horror fan should see it at least once and if you are a big fan of this kind of carnival set horror film in that case i think this is a buy all right bill what do you think? i think this is uh, one of the most fun type uh, slashers of its era because it's not kids getting drunk at the camp or that sort of thing or a home invasion kind of thing it's in a setting that leads itself to some cool kills and there's lots of cool shadows and things lurking around uh i definitely think it's a high priority rental but if you get a good deal on it i would definitely buy it i wouldn't overpay for it but i would definitely buy it i would give this a seven and a half out of ten all right Dave, what do you got? I'm actually right there with Bill. I'm going to say seven and a half out of ten, and I agree. I think um, the the setting is is really interesting. Uh, even when you know most of it taking place in the funhouse, it's an, an inter- That's an interesting you know funhouse. I mean, we've all been in in these these uh, at at the carnivals and when I'm down the down at the Jersey Shore on the boardwalk, th- those rides where you're in a car and it's taking you through this haunted attraction. And 99 times out of 100, they're not anything really scary. Just a skeleton will pop out every once in a while or something. But this one looks much more. Uh, I, I guess it, it looks like they put a lot more thought into this one. Yeah. And uh, and I love that that a lot of the movie took place there and that uh, occasionally. Uh, the carnival characters were able to use some of those attractions against the kids who were in there. The performances I thought were good, at least as good as they needed to be. Um, especially Kevin Conway. I thought he was really strong uh, in the film. I loved the scenes with the Barkers, uh, with all three of them actually. And uh, just the overall setting of it. And, and I, so yeah, 7.5. Screen Factory did release a really cool Blu-ray of this. Uh, but I'm still going to say strong rental. And if it's one that you think, hey, I wouldn't mind uh, owning this, get that uh, Screen Factory Blu-ray. It's worth picking up. All right. So I will make it a trifecta. I also give this a 7.5 out of 10. And I, it was interesting because 
I, like I said, Dave and I covered it with Jason Grooms way back when on Forgotten Flicks, uh, 2013. And I remember I, my, my feeling is I kind of liked it, but for whatever reason, it just worked for me a lot better this time. And I say it is a buy to Josh's point about if you're a fan of carnival set movies. And I would say if you're a Toby Hooper uh, fan and a Toby Hooper completist, especially of his early work, you know, if you want to get, you know, like the Chainsaw Massacre, Eaten Alive, Fun House trilogy going because uh, i'm trying to think was there anything else in between there i think those are the the first three aren't they as poltergeist comes out the year after this salem's lot oh salem's, salem's, lot. salem's lot. lot that's true i was thinking theatrical but yes you're right absolutely salem's theatrical lot. but yeah. theatrical year i think you're right yeah yeah, yeah. but uh definitely get you know, all four of those i will say then get all four of those um as you build into poltergeist but uh yeah it, it's a a really effective movie i, I mean i can't uh, just be restating everything these guys said. It's for me personally, being that it was shot, you know, in my home state and it has this aesthetic that I find very familiar. It's, you know, uh, it's one of those things where it's really weird because it's oddly comforting <laughs> in a weird way when you kind of recognize something and you're like, oh, home, mm-hmm. except, you know, home's got, you know, mutated freaks and weird stuff happening. In. <laughs> but, you know, it There's is Florida. nostalgia factor that works, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but it is Florida. So, you know, I guess it's really not that surprising that that is what I find nostalgic. So my point being, this movie is definitely worth checking out. And uh, I'm really happy we got a chance to cover it. Awesome, dude. Okay, everyone, before we go any further, I wanted to just take a second to tell you about our amazing new sponsor, Stitcher Premium, by recommending some great podcasts that are available right now on Stitcher Premium. We've talked about this one before, but you've got to check out How Did This Get Made? They pick a notorious movie like Jaws 3D, Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2, something like that. Then they try to figure out how these cinematic terrors got made in the first place. Riffing on the bad costumes, bizarre dialogue, and strange acting choices, but also taking time to celebrate these weird cinematic oddities. And they're often joined by comedic guests like Ricky Lindholm, who is also in Last House on the Left, the remake, and Hell Baby. Or Parks and Rec's Adam Scott, who horror fans love from Krampus. With Stitcher Premium, you'll also get thousands of hours of original content, early access to new releases, exclusive bonus episodes and archives, and so much more. And of course... Our show, HMP, is also available on Stitcher Premium. To get a free month trial of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HMP. That's stitcherpremium.com and promo code HMP. And now, back to the show. Now, let's go into our feature review of Hellfest 2018. That time of year. When the days get shorter and kids go hunting for a good scare. It's Halloween. I got us VIP passes to Hellfest. What is that? Hellfest. Where these friends were just looking for a night of frightful fun. Go! Ah! We came here to be terrified. <laughs> but among the masks and make-believe, where everyone trusts it's all part of the show. I'm gonna need her back, dude. Someone is not following the script. According to legend, a girl was killed here last year, for real. I love this place so much! On September 28th. Is that guy following us? It's just an actor. They mess with everyone. Hellfest. This film is not getting rated. So, Hellfest is a movie where a group of teenagers, I think there's six of them, 
they decide to go to local attraction, which is this traveling Hellfest. And two of the girls had been friends since elementary school and another female friend of theirs. And they go there under the auspices of meeting a friend from elementary school who can get them VIP passes. And when they get there, there's a couple other guys. So there's three guys and three girls. And it's their adventure of going through the park and the teenage angst that they go through. And then they finally get to a fun house. Now, unbeknownst to them, this fun house has a mass killer in the film uh, that is dressed the same way as many of the other characters are. And people begin to get killed. And people think it's part of the show because it's one of those extreme type of rides and events. And so as it goes, inevitably, people begin to get pinged off and you have to figure out who will survive and what will happen. Can I just say, I am shocked at how much I enjoyed this movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I started it, full disclosure, when this came out, I wanted to see it. And we're thinking, oh, yeah, I'd like to see this. But, you know, I think it came out. Didn't it come out in October last year? Wasn't it right around the same time? Because it's obviously it's something of that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it takes place around yeah. Halloween. So it's it's definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Halloween 2018, it came out. And, and I actually saw that three times in the theater. So obviously, rather than going to see Hellfest, I was seeing Halloween 2018 another time. So I didn't see it. <laughs> and, and then when we, I knew we were going to eventually do this, I was like, okay, well, yeah, it'd be cool. We can do Hellfest. And then. I started it. Now, the only way I could get this was I, I mean, I could have gone out and, you know, probably tracked down the Blu-ray or something, but it was on Amazon. I think oh, I'll just rent it. Well, it was only for sale. So I bought it sight unseen. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to commit. I'm making a commitment to HMP, to the show, to the listeners. I'm going to, I'm going to buy this thing. So it starts and I'm like, hmm, maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I should not have bought it. And but but I will say as this movie for me, as this movie progressed, once it hits the park, I really, really like this movie. Like, I, I don't know how you guys feel. I don't even remember what your review is for this thing, Josh. But uh, yeah, I, I it had enough of a a scream vibe without feeling like it was just trying to be another scream kind of movie because it definitely the it's not a mystery. I mean, it doesn't have that element to it. But it just felt like a fun slasher type movie that did some things and went in directions I was not expecting. And I was just pleasantly surprised. Yeah. No, it, it's an underrated film. And it actually got clobbered by critics and viewers alike. It did not do well um, in terms of critical response, at least on sites like Rotten Tomatoes, which is really shocking to me because I think it was a decent film. You know, I think it's a, it's a fun watch. And I did review this previously, so I'm not going to leave this review. I'll, I'll kind of hang back and listen to your guys' opinions, uh, but people can go and find my review. I actually reviewed uh, Bloodfest and Hellfest kind of back-to-back or in tandem on the same episode. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what episode it was, but I'll, I'll look for that uh, while you guys are talking and let people know at the end of this review. But um, I enjoyed it. You know, and I, and at the time I reviewed it kind of against Bloodfest. They don't need to be compared, but they are similar titles, similar premises, at least in terms of the setting. And so, um, you know, I liked this one better of the two at the time. I that was definitely uh, my recollection. 
But um, yeah, this is a this is a movie that I think feels it's in the spirit of an '80s movie while feeling like a modern movie. So it has the look maybe of a modern slasher, but it has kind of the vibe of an '80s slasher for me more than it does like a 2000s slasher. Yeah, totally agree with that. Dave, what do you think? I'm actually with you, uh, Joel, when it was first starting out, you know, you get that sort of sledgehammer introduction of characters, which a lot of these movies do. It's not like it's, that's something you just get in, in this one. And that can be a little off-putting at times. But once they get to that park, I think it uh, takes off. And what I liked about it is it really gives you that Halloween vibe. As they're going through that park, you really feel as if, you're with them and it's that Halloween time period and all the fun that goes along with it. You just get wrapped up in it. Then when things go south, I mean, they really go south. This guy is along the lines. I mean, he's not, he's not in, quite as iconic as the 80 slashers, uh, you know, the Jason or the Michael or, or anything like that. But he has that same sort of, like as Josh was saying, with it being sort of an 80s vibe, he seems to be everywhere at, at all times. And he know, he seems to know exactly when to show up. And that really, I think, adds to it. I mean, there's a, there's a, a pretty cool scene later in the film set in the bathroom that this guy fits in with that sort of 80s class of serial killers, uh, but with a very modern setting, like Josh was saying. And I think that that definitely is one of the, the, the film's uh, strengths. For sure. And I will say, too, that I don't know how you feel about this, Bill, but when it started, other than a few F-bombs, I had to check. I was like, is this R? I, I couldn't remember. Is this one? Is this a PG-13 horror flick? I couldn't remember. And But man, when the kills start, I mean, there's a few in this thing. I was like, wow, OK, all right. <laughs> and this is... They're going, oh, yeah. they're going there. Okay. I mean, I thought, again, I thought it had a little bit of a PG 13 kind of a, you know, a little safe. I mean, it doesn't that, look, I, I recently, and we'll maybe review this on a later date, but I watched uh, escape room and I enjoyed it you know, for what it was. Uh, and, but it doesn't obviously PG 13. So they're not going to go quite to the level that something like this can go to. And back to that idea of that 80s slasher, he has that quality to him it's just that that sort of just presence that is not su he's not supernatural it doesn't give off any kind of michael myers like the pseudo supernatural elements there none of that is just he's there and and I, even at the beginning and i don't feel like this is giving anything away you don't see him but you see enough of him early on that I was thinking at first, I thought one of the things in this movie was going to be a mystery. I thought it was going to be like, okay, is it really her boyfriend? Is it really? But I don't think I'm giving anything away to say it's not that at all. And you figure that out pretty quick because I felt like they showed enough of him that had they brought other characters into the equation, you would have immediately known or more than likely have been able to guess, you know what I'm saying? Like it didn't, it, it, it does not set him up as a mystery figure. No, he is just this, right. You know, death come into the park there to hurt people and that's it right what do you think bill i love this because i'm going to be the dissenting voice here oh no <laughs> i i was honestly i'm a gore hound i wasn't impressed with the film at all really i found it set up like a typical teen horror flick and i mean and i write these things down as i was going if this girl natalie's friends keep dying or disastrous things are happening and you see people being chased through the park why is she on her own so much 
wouldn't you go with your girlfriend or a strong male presence and go through with them instead of going on your own? I didn't feel scared at all. And quite frankly, I didn't care about the characters. None of them kind of ingratiated themselves to me. We know nothing of the motivation of the killer. We have no idea why he's doing this, nor do they give any illusion. And I don't care about needing a guy's entire backstory biography. I don't care. But we have no idea why he's doing this. The pacing of the kills I found were too far apart. Like it, sometimes there were 10 to 15 minutes between the kills. And the other thing I found about the kills were that they weren't that creative, other than the first one. The first one was a good one. But for being in that environment and everything around, I found the, the kills very humdrum. And for a park that they had to get advance tickets for, they had to buy them ahead of time, the lineups were killer huge. Why was nobody ever in the park with them when they were going through? Nobody was. Did you ever see them push away? Did you ever see them grab somebody and say, I need some help? Never. So I'm shaking my head at that, right? And, but I will give them this. It was a 90 minute one. It was really good lighting. It was really good visuals. And it did leave the door open at the end for a sequel because of the way it played out and what was seen in a certain room, they could take this character further. And I'll give them that, that there's room for the character to mature. Um, on the positive side, there was a nice surprise stab in the hallway maze done by Natalie at one point. I don't think that's much of a spoiler. But by the end of the film, I was like, okay, it's over. I think it's it. Let's tease out some of those things because I think there's a lot there to talk about. Yes. For sure. Your one criticism that I definitely agree with was that they didn't have other people around them ever. And that's what I was, when Dave was talking about Hell House LLC earlier, I thought the thing that felt so real about that is that you are going through a haunted house, you're surrounded by strangers, and it's still scary. And I, I understand as a filmmaker, you know, the isolation is, is terrifying. Not having anyone to turn to is terrifying. But I feel like Hell House LLC really illustrated that you can be surrounded by 300 people and it's still terrifying if something right. scary is going on that you know and so I, I would have liked to see just a little bit more of interaction with other folks just to kind of you know the one of the first scares in the film has to deal with them running into another person who's attending Hellfest. And they don't know that that person's attending health us. They think that that person is actually part of the attraction, but even more of that, I think would have been awesome, you know, to kind of be running into other people who are going through this experience and trying to convince them that um, something awful is going on around them. That I, I totally agree with you, Bill on that. I will say, I, I want to challenge you on this. I feel like this is a good, example for me of how much harder horror fans are on new movies than they are on older films all respect to toby hooper but we just have talked about funhouse which you guys all loved and i feel like you know the criticisms that you just laid out against hellfest it could easily be laid out on the funhouse you know the there are 40 minutes before there's anything scary in that movie essentially it's just 40 minutes of building the setting up building up the atmosphere and that's what this film has in spades is atmosphere 
And so, yeah, there are some long pauses between the killings, but every one of those pauses is filled to the brim with this amazing Halloweeny, Octobery, Carnival-esque vibe that's just so incredible. I mean, I think that's where the film succeeds most is in those moments between the kills. Not yeah, because again, like Joel said, some of some of it does feel a little PG thirteen, except for the the few splatters that we do get. But I do think those splatters are handled very well. Also, and uh, and so we get payoff in a way that again I didn't really see in the Funhouse. Like I felt like in the Funhouse when the killing starts, it's a little lackluster for for my taste as opposed to um, something like this, which is more formulaic than for the fun house, but it does feel like that 80s slasher vibe to me, getting just picking people off one by one in creative ways. I do want to add real quick that I agree with both of you. The lack of people, <laughs> it does seem a little bit much like, okay, it probably be more packed than that. But I think that one thing I really appreciated was because they set up that this was meant to be a more extreme type haunt park where, and then the further in you go, like I guess they get to the, what the deadlands or whatever they called it, where they actually, you have to sign a waiver because then they can quote unquote touch you. I thought that there was always this sense up until like the last 20 ish minutes or so that the, the, the main character, especially of questioning, like, well, you know, is this legit or am I just getting messed with right now? Like, is this, you know, and, and that yeah. was what I felt throughout the whole yeah. thing. And honestly, for me, and I and this is just me, I loved the fact that we had no idea why this guy was doing what he was doing. I have always been one of those people, and I'm probably in the minority on this, and I get that. But I, I turned to my wife and I said at about the three quarter point, I said, if they in this without explaining him like if it's just he just does this i will love this movie because it it had the balls to go there because you know even scream as much as i love scream and i know this is a point of contention and you know behind the scenes of you know do you make it about you know just because or do you have to have the 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 reason and i think they were trying to have their cake and eat it too and that's an error and i get it and i respect it but there is something for me that sort of halloween you know michael myers he just does and just is. And the way this movie ends ends, I freaking loved. I thought it was so dark and twisted without being dark and twisted because I don't want to give anything away. I just <laughs> I loved the the last moment in this movie. I loved it. I would be remiss without mentioning the nice uh, cameo by Tony Todd. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. To reference Scream there, Joel. You know, you got Billy saying, did Norman Bates have a motive? Did mm -hmm. we ever find out why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? Yeah. Don't think so. Yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> but a lot scarier when there's no, no motive. motive. Now that film proceeds to. And, and it gives us a motive. Show that they actually did have a motive. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. And, and I'm, and I'm with you, Joe. I, I agree. I like not knowing necessarily why the killer's doing it, but it's interesting in that one of the things they set up is that the people he goes after are the ones that looked at him and said, you're not scary yes. or you're not scaring yes. me. And that seems to be what set him off. We don't know why. And frankly, we don't need to know why, because it, it does make it, it does make it scarier for me to not know, you know, that, that here's why he's doing it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter why he's doing it. And that's what's setting him off. You know, I think it's, I have a theory why he's doing it. And I think it's a fragile male ego, honestly, mm -hmm. like he, as Dave said, he's going after these women who are telling him, 
you know, you're not scary to me. They all have a type. Also, we should say like the look of all of the three ladies that we see him kind of pursuing in the film have a certain look to them. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we learn a little bit about the killer and without spoiling anything, I think his, you know, situation at the end might set like, Hey, uh, this guy's longing for a woman who is going to be kind to him in a certain way. And if these women are not kind to him, he's going to make them pay. You know, or do you think he? Let me ask you, Josh. I don't mean to interrupt you, but do you think yeah. that he wants them to be kind to him, or he wants them to be afraid of him? Well, maybe, maybe it's be afraid. But yeah. there's that moment in the bathroom where he's kind of reaching yeah. out. That's he does it a couple that's times. The moment that yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, of. he does that kind of almost a couple times where he just yeah does that reach out thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think the the combination of that and then what we, what we see his status is at the end, and then the fact that as Dave pointed out, he kind of is aggressive with these women who are not um, afraid of him. There's something there that I feel like I, I can't say without spoiling, but I think is has to do with kind of his fragile sure. ego. Sure. And I, I do think if they make a sequel, things will kind of play themselves out. Yeah. And I, and so I actually heard that they had both the sequel and a prequel kind of loosely mapped out when they made this film, but that it didn't do well enough in the box office for uh, the studio necessarily to make, want to make a second one. I was looking at its box office receipts and it looks like it doubled its budget in terms of, and I think it was shot for like 5.5 million and it looks like it made like 11 something, you know, in the box office, you would think that would be enough to at least do a low budget sequel. If nothing else, they didn't lose any money on it so but from what i hear they decided not to necessarily proceed with a sequel although tony todd had said that if they do do a sequel he's on board to come mm -hmm. back and that they would also flesh out his character a little bit that's cool yeah i will say that for me i i agree with you bill that in the moment of the in the movie i wasn't afraid like i never felt like real fear i mean there's a couple of suspenseful parts i mean that i i was a little bit you know uh, on edge with but for me, the scary thing about this movie is going to be the next time I go to a haunt like this and it's going to cross my mind. It's going oh, to, sure. not that I'm going to be like, you know, the, the, the pretty young thing that is getting targeted. I'm just simply saying, though, there is going to be that thought that will cross my mind of like, hmm, what are the chances that in this park right now there could be some lunatic that is doing this kind of thing? And. That, and are you are you going to volunteer for the guillotine trick? A uh, hell nah. uh, no, no. And, and can I just say this without giving anything away? I that was one of the scenes that had me on edge because the character that that the whole thing happens to was probably one of the more annoying ones. And and so you know it definitely there was a certain element of this movie back to that '80s idea where there's certain characters who are kind of like, yep, can't wait till that one gets it. And so, uh, yeah. but but. I think it was like half and half. I feel like they balanced it pretty well. Yeah. I felt like I cared about half the characters yes. and wanted to watch the other half die. And that's like a great, that's a pretty good balance for a slasher for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, really. and then the fact that one of the ones that I actually really did care about that when they went at the time, the time that they went the way that they went, I was like, well, okay, I sort of expected that. You know, okay. I didn't expect that. And, and so, but the guillotine thing, the way that whole thing played out, that was, I, I liked it. Like I thought that was unexpected and, it just it surprised me because again I felt like it was going to play out a certain way, um, and it didn't. And I just I don't know I, I appreciated that. 
I worked at a low budget haunt two years in a row for Halloween, the Halloween season. And I can tell you there were, there were certainly no background checks of any kind happening at that place. It was like a bunch of teenagers showing up and the guy saying, uh, you know, how old are you? Okay. You're hired. Here's your mask. Go, go pick a weapon and a mask <laughs> and meet me in the maze and I'll show you what to do kind of thing, you know? So, uh, it could so be you're anybody. Saying, you're saying there's a, a a bit of realism to that. I'm saying that you should be afraid, Joel. Be okay. very afraid. be very afraid. I will ask you guys, and if this is a spoiler, Josh, obviously cut it out. I don't think it is. But do you think he worked there? Because I mean, to your point, like people could go onto these type of haunts, and they'll be like a a day player or something, right? They'll just show up for the day, or they might, you know, they kind of get, you know, they're they're just there for the season. And I and based on some things that are revealed late 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 in the movie um I, I was wondering do you think he was just going there or do you think he's somebody who goes in and worked it's a fair question yeah. i think bill you know we see we see him enter as a customer mm -hmm. but as bill pointed out there are other people dressed similarly yeah. to him throughout the haunt and as we learn later he seems prepared for the style of dress mm -hmm. that people have within the haunt. So right. there's, there's gotta be some kind of connection that, yeah, maybe can be explored. And he knows the layout. Him. He knows the place. I was going to say when it first started, I thought he was just kind of like a cosplay kind of guy. Right. Just kind of dressed up as everything else, just trying to blend in, but you never know. Yeah. And I got to say my biggest criticism of the film is, is a kind of a nitpick type of criticism. But for me, it really impacts my enjoyment of a movie like this. And I just thought the mask was lame. Hmm. And I honestly, I think if it had been, if the killer had a look that I found a little bit scarier or that I thought was a little bit cooler, I think that would have improved my scare factor and interest a lot in a movie like this, because I don't know what it is. Michael Myers looks badass mm -hmm. standing there in his silhouette. And I did not find that as much mm -hmm. with this guy. So. Yeah, I guess the good thing is, and I have to pick my words very carefully here, if there were ever any sequels, that can be a do-over situation. Well, they they kind of, yeah, they show that from the very first scene of the film, yeah. which I liked. Yeah. You know, I liked that they showed that, and I liked what they reveal later as well. Mm -hmm. There were some um, references, let's say, to some really interesting masks in this movie. Did you notice any while you guys were watching them? Especially toward the end. Yeah, I was gonna say, did, does it does any of them involve a certain thematic episode that you guys covered? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Okay. Well, there was one of those, but there was also, uh, you know, from the Eye of the Beholder episode of the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah, there was one of those. Okay, a mask that was in that style. Okay. There was an Onibaba mask, the Japanese. Oh, the Onibaba, oh. right, right. I missed that one. I didn't even see that one. And then there was one that was pretty dark that they didn't, you couldn't see very much, but I'm pretty sure it was a Michael Myers mask. Really? Um, wow. There was also a bag head mask. So it could have been down the dreaded sundown or Friday the 13th part two or the strangers, but there was one of those hanging in there as well. So nice. those, that was exciting to me to see all of those. Very interesting. All right. Well, you want to do our ratings or recommendations? You guys got anything else you want to say about this one? I mean, I thought the acting was good. Yeah, there were some annoying characters. They were written to be annoying, but it wasn't due to performance. Like, oh, they, no, for I sure. think the actors really pulled off yes. the characters that were on the page. 
well. So uh, yeah, I not my favorite characters of all time, but I, I, as I mentioned, I do think it was a pretty good balance. And the other thing I'll say is as much as I criticize, I was pleased as punch to see that a slasher got a theatrical release. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't see that much yeah. anymore. Yeah. No, you don't. And I mean this in a positive way, but this almost felt to me on some level, like the kind of movie that we would have gotten circa 1997 or 98 post scream in the sense that, you know, when you had like urban legend and Valentine, you had all of those coming out. This felt like it would have been not necessarily in, in all ways, but in a lot of ways, it just felt like it was somehow from more of that era. So to your point, I agree with you. Yeah. Your point, Bill, just that idea of like, you know, back then you had movies like this coming out all the time. But the thing I didn't like about that era and I talked about this actually when I reviewed this movie last time is that those movies were all these postmodern meta self-aware films. Yes. And this one wasn't, it was just a straight ahead slash. Yep. Yes. And I appreciated that too, that I liked very much. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to mention Gregory Plotkin, the director, I believe this is his second directorial film. If I'm not mistaken, he directed paranormal activity, the ghost dimension. But what's notable about this guy is he's an editor and he edited for Blumhouse all of the paranormal activity films after the first one. He, they brought him in to kind of do some fix-up work on World War Z and Creep and Area 51 and Unfriended. And then he was the main editor for Get Out. Nice. Get Out as well as Happy Death Day. So it was just cool to see someone who's an editor make that leap to directing. And I think that's probably why a lot of the sequences worked as well as they did. Yes. It was someone who really understands pacing and cutting those types of scenes together. Yes. Now that you say that actually, and I think through a couple of the key scenes that had me on edge, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. There was a lot of tension in the movie. They they did really well with suspense. All right. So you guys want to, well, actually, I guess, Josh, let's start with you just because I know you've already technically rated and reviewed this. I don't have them in front of me. What was your uh, original? Yeah. So I did. I talked about this previously on HMP episode 163. It was just one of those massive Frankensteinian episodes where we covered 21 horror movies from 2018 on that episode. If you can imagine, Joel. Um, uh, I can. I can. And we reviewed, I reviewed Hellfest and Bloodfest, and I gave Hellfest a seven, and I called it a rental. Now, as Joel pointed out, this is not easy to rent at the current time of our recording. So, although I still think it's rental quality, I'm tr- I've been trying to figure out all day today as I've been thinking about this, would I still recommend people purchase this one and since that's the primary way you can see it currently and i'm not sure i would i think as i mentioned with um death note i think that's like a really fun movie to watch around halloween time it would make a great 31 days of horror entry i think if you're you want to get to be in a halloween mood and you want to just watch a bunch of movies that take place at Halloween time during the month of October, then I would recommend buying it for that. I think that would be worth your, your money in that, in that scenario. Okay. Dave, how about you? I'm going to say a 7.5 and I, I, if you can find it, you know, definitely rent it and, and check it out. And I could see watching it during the Halloween season, but you know what? I can also see watching it, like the week leading up to the Halloween season, like maybe the end of September to put you in that mood, because this movie really does set that, that 
Halloween atmosphere. And, uh, you know, once they're going through that park and it does it very well. And I even liked how some of the, they, they, you see all of the characters sort of jump at one point and how they kind of react to each other. Like nobody likes that exact moment of being scared in front of their friends. And, and, uh, but, but they all seem to be, it gets you at some point in the movie. And, um, I liked that. I thought that was cool. So I could see it sort of setting the mood for you for the Halloween season as well. So yeah, 7.5. And if you can find it, definitely, definitely watch it. All right, Bill, what do you think? Uh, I, as you know, am a bit more dissenting on it. I'll give it a five and a half, but I will say to rent it, it is worth a renting. And it might be one of those ones that grows on me. You never know. I may watch it a second time and appreciate it more. But at the current spot, I'd give it 5.5, but rent it. Okay, cool. All right, so for me, um, one other thing I do want to point out, and Dave, something you said reminded me, there had to be moments of at least a little bit of improv in this movie because there's a couple of times when characters are in, say, a funhouse type environment, and the way they react to something jumping at them, I felt it felt so authentic I'm not saying it couldn't have been acting. I mean, it very well might have been, but it had that feeling like that it would have been almost on a blooper reel just because their reaction was so raw and real to, you know, like to, to what has just happened to them. So that was another thing I, I appreciate about the movie. Uh, I apparently am going to come in the highest <laughs> for this one. I am an, a solid eight. I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. I obviously own it. So I would recommend owning it if, if you can. Um, I just did a basic search and for whatever reason, on Amazon, the only way you can get it, it seems like, was uh, to buy it through streaming. Uh, even the Blu-ray looks like it's a Region A Blu-ray that they have. But there were some other places. Oh, that you, yeah, if you just do a, a, a Google search, you'll find other places that do have it. Uh, but uh, I would say it's a good film to own. And like Dave said, leading up to Halloween or during the season, watching it. For me, what I think I would love to do is, especially since I know how the movie plays out now, is after the opening, I would just skip chapters ahead to when they're getting to Hellfest and then just let it play from there. Like to me, that was the part that I just fell in love with it. I, I All of that stuff, I really enjoyed the atmosphere, the feeling, all of it. So uh, yeah, definitely recommend Hellfest 8.0 from The Gill Man. I just want to say, um, so this is a $9.99 rental. Most places to stream but I believe that is the SD version. Yes. So if you want the HD version, it's going to be a little bit more $12.99 on Amazon, $14.99 on Vudu. If you're going to spend that much on it and you do want to get this movie, I'm seeing the 4K Blu-ray for $14.99. You might just want to go that direction. There's also a uh, $14.99 combo pack that has the Blu-ray, DVD, and digital copy available online as well again not an amazon but other i will i will say that unfortunately i did the 12.99 because i wasn't gonna I mean, if i'm gonna buy it i might as well spend a couple extra bucks and get the hd version um i will be i'm willing i like this movie enough i am willing to actually go pick up the blu-ray of it but i think the thing i want to check is to see what the extras are because i mean if it's just a trailer mm -hmm. you know or something like that and there's no commentary there's no nothing i'll probably just stick right. with my uh, my streaming version but yes uh, to your point, I would say if somebody thinks that they might enjoy this based on the review, I would say just go ahead and buy the disc. That way you got it. All right. So that brings episode 179, Carnival of Terror, to an end. We want to thank Bill Van Vagel for being here. Bill, thank you so much. You want to let the listeners know where they can find you online? 
Well, if they want to check me out, I'm usually on Land of the Creeps. Uh, you can also try to friend me on Facebook, but let me know that you're from the show and not some Russian bride looking for money. <laughs> and I'm also uh, on uh, Letterboxd, Bill Horror Guy. And uh, I'm on as much as I can. This was a blast, guys. And I'd love to be back anytime you have the opportunity. Awesome. Yeah. And hopefully you're not too big for us now, but you can also often find Bill in the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com. He's always had some great insights on the films we're covering. So I'll, I'll throw them in there the moment I feel like chatting. Nice. All right. So Wolfman, where can they find you? Find me online at Icarus Arts, which is the name of my production company. I'm on Letterboxd. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm most active on Twitter of those four, but um, I definitely like talking to people. As Bill said, if you are going to add me on Facebook, let me know you're uh, from the show because I do not add as many people on Facebook as I do on the other platforms, just you know, due to the nature of Facebook. I also don't actually use Facebook that much, so I'm trying to kind of wean off Facebook, but um, if that's the only way we can connect, I'd rather it be that than nothing. So... Get in touch and look forward to what we've got brewing here on Horror Movie Podcast. We've got some exciting stuff coming up for October, and I just can't wait. I want to give a shout out to digital artist Big J. Brook. That's Joshua Bellis um, from Ohio. He's an awesome graphic designer, and he has done some amazing designs for us that you can find in the HMP shop. Some really fun stuff. He did a pet cemetery t-shirts with the micmac burial ground and church the cat he did um a godzilla inspired hmp logo for stickers as well as stephen king's the dead zone that says hmp dead serious instead of the dead zone Just some really cool ideas he came up with a gilman joel logo which hopefully we'll see in the store in the future so i wanted to thank him you can find him on twitter at big j brook or at his website, joshuabellis.com and head on over to the HMP store and check out some of his work. You can find that and all of our other HMP designs at horrormoviepodcast.com slash store. Go check them out. All right, Dave. All right. Well, uh, thanks to Bill for coming on. I get to talk with him a lot anymore now over at Land of the Creeps and, uh, and, and here. It's a lot of fun. Check me out at uh, dvdinfatuation.com. I'm on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd. Uh, as far as podcasts, I'm on the Gods and Monsters, Universal Monsters podcast. I know is uh, is a lot of talk of that one coming back pretty soon as well. And uh, the Land of the Creeps uh, with uh, Greg Amortis. And, and Mr. Bill Van Bagel and uh, we have uh, Haddonfield Hatchet uh, occasionally joining us there as well check that out at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com I do want to mention um, due to all the problems we did have with Universal Monsters cast the, that site is still temporarily down but the podcast is available at monsterscast.libson.com so um, eventually we'll reroute to the original website once we get everything going again but um, all of the previous episodes are currently available and streaming there at monsterscast.libsyn.com. For those who don't know, Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. 
And I can also be found at Universal Monsters Cast and, of course, Retro Movie Geek, where we cover movies that are 20 years old or older, and we're basically three-man children. So join us each week as we do that. We love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all 178 of our other past episodes. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at horrormoviecast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HMP. To get a free month of Stitcher Premium for 30 days, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HMP. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50, which will give you access to special features episodes at patreon.com slash moviepodcastnetwork. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. That's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. You guys didn't see that one. No, <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Like, like I said, I don't get as invested. I, and a part of it, I mean, there were like all in within a, a several year time period, they canceled this. Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles early. They canceled Deadwood early and, uh, and Carnival early. And it just really kind of upset me. And, and especially Carnival, because they were setting up for something really big to happen in the next season. That final episode was riveting. And, I, and when I realized it was the final episode for good, I was so depressed. I'm like, come on, <laughs> you, you can't do that. Come on. The nice thing about American Horror Story is every season self-contained. So... If you don't like it, you can just drop it and try another season. Um, they're all self-contained stories each season. Right. And that's yeah, a, I haven't that's watched a, a single episode of, of that show. However, however, I have heard the new season. It's just called 1984, and it's supposed to be a slasher. So I'm going to start there. I do stand corrected, by the way, and I want to make sure that so we don't, we don't get uh, angry fans. It's Godzilla versus Kong. I said King Kong versus Godzilla. So make sure we're clear uh-huh. on that. Ada Wingard's movie coming out in 2020. Dave, I remember when we did the Creepy Clowns episode, which I wasn't on, but I thought, didn't you talk about a film called Amusement on that episode? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a movie called Amusement. Um, it was about a guy who was tracking, he was sort of stalking these three girls and he would, he would dress as a clown, but it wasn't a... It wasn't a carnival movie. It wasn't even a clown movie. If you looked at the the advertisements and the poster art and everything, it looked like a clown movie. But there was only one scene, in my opinion, the best scene that involved the clown. And it had to do with, I think, Catherine, Catherine Winnick was in it. And it was her character was sort of stalked by this clown in this house. Uh, I don't think it fits with this just because it's not a clown. It's really this guy trying to stalking these three girls who he had known when he was younger. Um, 
and I don't even know that they did anything to him. I, I'm trying to remember. I can't even remember them doing anything to him when he was younger that he would be looking for revenge. I think he just was sort of fixated on these three girls. Uh, but if you look at the poster art and everything, it looks like it's a creepy clown movie, but it's not. It's really just this guy sort of trying to take his revenge. Actually, one I just remembered is, uh, I don't know, it's mid to later 60s called She Freak, which was hmm. a remake of Freaks. I can't remember who's in it. It's a woman lead where she takes over this environment and there are... Uh, circus freaks and so forth in this uh, circus that she's running and i know that her love interest is played by the guy and it's going to sound strange but the the actor uh who played the guy that raped ned Beatty in deliverance okay. that's the only other thing i ever <laughs> saw that guy in yeah um was she freak so so she freak and the um the hillbilly in deliverance are the only two moves i've ever seen that guy in but do you think that guy ever hears that line at like a cocktail party? Yeah, what do I know you from? I, I feel like I, I, you know what? I remember Ned Beatty one time uh, went on uh, Howard Stern when he was at a location and he had his fans there with him and they started doing the whole suey suey to oh, Ned Beatty God. when he showed up. I mean, he took it well. He, he knew what it was about, but uh, I don't know. I'm guessing that guy might. This movie was interesting. I had seen this years ago. This was basically felt like a first time watch to me. It had been so long since I'd seen the film. I don't remember almost anything about it. And, you know, that was never more clear to me than in the opening scene where we have a little prank happening uh, between Joey and Amy <clears throat> in the opening scene of the film where Amy's about to take a shower and we see uh, kind of a giallo black gloved killer preparing to dispatch her in the shower. And I thought, okay, it's kind of awkward that they have a 12 year old about to take a shower in a film. Hopefully this isn't going to keep going on for too much longer. Right. right. And then, uh, and then it does. And I'm like, what? Oh, wow. Did I accidentally put on clown house instead of fun house? Yeah, no, <laughs> what am I about to no, watch here? No, and then I'll tell you that Elizabeth Berridge, well, the first time I saw this, uh, well, I saw it on cable when I was very young. So I was probably younger than her at the time, but <laughs> I, watching it again a few years ago, uh, I'm watching it. And I, I'm like, she looks like she's about 14. What's happening here? Cause I did not expect that that was going to happen. Um, right. because she looked so young and then, uh, yeah, and that did. But so I was like, okay, whew, she's 19 years old. This is a little right. bit better about this. She looks like she's 12 <laughs> years old, though, and that was very uncomfortable right? Uh, to watch the first time. Or as an adult, I guess, for the first time. I do want to add, I do want to add, I think I know why I thought Kelly Maroney was in Funland. She was in a movie in 83 called Slayground. Mm. which is also a kind of like a crime drama thriller that I guess involves at some point, it looks like some kind of carnival. So that's where I think I cross pollinated as a friend of mine says. One of the first films I worked on was one of Ryan's movies. It was a world war two movie and I worked as a prop intern and um, that film did pretty well. It won two independent spirit awards and Quentin Tarantino said it was one of his favorite films of the year. And I think he even, I think it was probably an influence on Angora's bastards, not a written, um, but anyway, um, this film they were making next 
And I was talking to one of the producers and they said, listen, we've got a haunted house and we're just looking for scripts set in a haunted house. So if you want to write something, I know you're, you've been working to, to write, you know, films, we'll look at it if you're interested. So I got one of my friends and we sat down and we just wrote a haunted house movie as fast as we could so that we could get it to them before they found another script. And uh, we turned it in. And they're like, this is okay. It's not at all what we were looking for. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and um, because I had just assumed haunted house movie, I had assumed like a ghost, like a haunted mansion, like a like an actual haunted location, not not a fun house, you know. And so I found out later they didn't have a mansion at all. They didn't have a haunted house. They had a fun house yeah. that they could use as a location. <laughs> And, and so I wrote for the completely wrong location. <laughs> and you didn't whip another one out? No, it was too late. By the time I, had, I you know, I worked as hard as I could getting. I I actually wrote a werewolf movie set at a at an old mansion, um, and uh, not what they were looking for. But anyway, so this is the film they made instead, House of Fears. It was written by one of the producers uh, that they work with, Steve Steve Lee. And I have not heard great things about it, but I see that it is now currently streaming for free on Amazon Prime, so I'm going to give it a shot and watch it for the first time. Excellent. <laughs> and one last thing. Was I the only one that was uncomfortable watching her pee? Yeah, they did. They did <laughs> dwell on that quite a bit, didn't they? <laughs> it, was, it was... I remember going, do I really need to see this? Yeah, yeah. Right. 